Hello, and welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and a software developer at Axonic, Sarah Tori. Last week, I had the great honor of participating at our in-person conference at Axonic Con 2022 at the Tobacco Theater in Amsterdam. We had two days of amazing talks and topics, workshops, knowledge sharing, connecting, and amazing hallway discussions. At the end of our last day, we had a panel discussion with four panelists who presented talks or workshops at our conference. The panelists were Simon Zambrowski of Hamburg consulting firm Holisticon, Andy Whitaker from the state of Indiana, Mark Klefter from the Swedish consulting firm Edumont, and our CTO, Allard Bauza. I hope you enjoy the conversation and let's have a listen. All right, so panel discussion. So this is a time for you all to ask questions, as many of them as you like. Ask hard questions, put them on spot. Um, but no, this is really an opportunity for you to uh, discuss some of the things that are important to you, maybe in your particular use case, um, questions that you may have or challenges that you've made, uh, you may have faced. Um, so this is really a good 30 to 45 minutes uh, for you to be able to discuss and ask questions. Um, I did receive two questions on the app uh, that were Axon specific. So um, we'll happily answer those, but I'm wondering if there are other questions that are not necessarily Axon specific. Um, it could be, so don't, don't be afraid to ask Axon specific questions, but I mean, um, if you want to start and don't be shy, I've asked them not to bite. Yes, thank you. I'm not, I'm not sure if this is a correct question according to the criteria. Uh, okay, so I was wondering a little bit since uh, I, I mentioned, like I heard today Kotlin uh, quite a few times, was it a lot of effort to make Axon compatible with Kotlin? Or? <laughs> no, actually it was really easy. Um, just look at your colleagues and they're, they're there's a lot of Kotlin enthusiasts. And actually, uh, it, it never really made it to the roadmap. It was just, hey, there's, there's some things we need to improve. And the, there's already a couple of extensions, right? So there was, uh, it was just a, a, a project uh, that of personal interest that started to say, hey, the, of course, Kotlin and Java are interoperable, obviously, because they end up as, the, as similar bytecode, let's say. Um, but um, it was, yeah, it was not even a discussion. It was just, hey, let, I'm going to spend some time to, to do that, to get rid of some of those annoying things that we Kotlin lovers, we hate that stuff from Java. We don't want to see it and get, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, so I'd, uh, I don't know. Uh, Stefan Andjokovic, are you here? I'm not here. <laughs> no, he's not here. Is Mitchell here? No. Was it difficult to implement? But Simon, yeah. Um, the interesting story about that was, I mean, there were several facts actually in history. So the first one, we were looking for one of the first videos you made, and you, you had like this at first place saying, you know, we have these posters for commands and events, so let's do them directly in Kotlin. So this is very one of the first videos in introducing Axon Framework, how it works. 
uh, Alar did it actually for the for this part. Then there was a conference like three or four years ago. It was the last one in person I was, but I was missing one. And there was a guy there um, who showed what they are doing in Scala, actually. And that was a time that, uh, as uh, we were doing some Kotlin in, in, in our company, and we also had some experience in Scala. And uh, surely Martin Adorsky is a, is a, is a cool guy, but uh, sometimes you read this Scala code and you don't understand what is stated there. And I think that Kotlin went a different way. So we, we said, like, Challenge accepted. If uh, this can be done uh, in Scala, it should be done in Kotlin too. So we kind of forced the guys to start up this extension, and so the first uh, implementations were, were there. Some, you know, this annoying typing stuff that you can infer actually, and so on. So it, it started like this. Um, so if you follow, there are some very interesting discussion in the Kotlin extension right now. Uh, because there is the reactor way, which is kind of Java way, and then there is a suspend function way, which is the Kotlin way, uh, which kind of, and also there is a reactor extension, so we had to be very careful where, yeah, should it be, where should it be actually, right? Um, but uh, another very interesting point is Kotlin evolved over time pretty, pretty much. And as we started, it was like, yeah, we have data classes, and then we have usual classes. Uh, seal classes are, by the way, very interesting to use, especially if you want to serialize. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> it's a pain. Um, but um, what they introduce are actually value, uh, this, this new kind of you know, value types that you can use, where you, you rely on a, uh, I don't know if you know this feature, actually. So it's a very powerful Kotlin feature, uh, I would say. <laughs> um, it's uh, so you can define um, your own type system, right? Saying I have a street or street address, and it is internally it's a string. And the beauty of this, and this is a long discussion in all this DDD stuff, is that if you define your own domain type system, it's very costly, right? Because if you every time wrap and unwrap an object in any access, it's too costly. So if you for, for every string, if you say, okay, it's actually not a string, it's an address, and this is a name, and this is something else. And so this, all this discussion about domain-driven type system was kind of lost previously, before Kotlin came in and said, you know, guys, we can build you something that your Alexa of your compiling process will differentiate as a type, but that will be escaped in the runtime. This is what they're doing. So in the runtime, there are strings, but to compile time, it's your domain language. And this is exactly what you want, right? So you know you don't have penalties, and this is why I, I'm, I'm always saying, uh, Henning Schwentner, the, the guy who was uh, doing this uh, domain storing mapping, he, he had a talk in Hamburg on a, on a joke, saying, um, can we use records, and is it a perfect match for domain types? And the answer is no. And we all know there is Project Valhalla that will probably be there in 200 years or so, and then <laughs> maybe there will be something compatible, and you can do proper type, domain type modeling in Kotlin right now. And this is uh, crazy much more powerful than using strings and ints and to think, oh. Uh, and so this is one of the, my favorite features of current Kotlin, and the second one is actually uh, named arguments. 
So you, you, this naming of arguments and assigning stuff, and it's not just five strings passed in and then you, you know, invert the order and then you, you're lost. Uh, but this named argument is also a very, very strong feature. And of course, the first level functional stuff. Anyone else on Kotlin? Great. <laughs> so the short answer, yes, it's easy. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. <laughs> so um, there was another question that um, was asked on the app. Uh, what are possible solutions for problems that occur with event sourcing if you have eventually 100 plus million events? So a lot of problems can occur. <laughs> you, you essentially need one event for any problem to occur. Um, but I do admit that the number of, of problems you can have with 100 million plus uh, events. We, uh, well, we, we do have customers in our, uh, uh, in our, in our, in our midst that have billions of events. And some of them uh, count them as billions per certain unit of time, which is around a year or so. Um, the, the fun thing is that um, the most, most of those events, you don't use them on a daily basis. So they're just, they just sit there waiting for an auditor to, to start digging, and then you, you have them, right? So you want them somewhere where you can access them, but it doesn't have to be fast. So one problem is, and that is something that uh, Milan, uh, Milan Savage introduced yesterday, is the uh, well, storage problem, right? You need a place to actually store them. And right now, especially in Axon Server, it's, it's pretty much um, you, you give it one location where it stores the events. That's the place. Now, unless that place is extremely scalable, you end up with space problems. Um, so uh, that's where, why we're adding multi-tier storage. And then you can choose, OK, these are the um, hot events. And we were just talking about this in the, in the unconference. But the, um, the hot events are the ones that you likely need to use to, to rehydrate uh, aggregates. The events that are older, they become colder. Right. And the cold events are the ones that you will have for a very, very occasional um, um, uh, sequential read to, to repopulate uh, a projection. But the thing you want to, will want to prevent is the need to load these cold events just to source an aggregate. And for that, you have snapshots. Uh, you can make sure that those snapshots are not uh, removed or not moved to colder storage themselves, uh, that they remain in the hot part, etc. So yeah, you're, you're dragging more history with you, but uh, most of that history is not relevant on a on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis. They are occasionally relevant and very powerful to have there in in certain uh, certain situations. So I'm not sure if that answers the question at all, um, but it's um, otherwise it's imagining problems, and that's fun to do, but it also takes a long time. Other questions. So uh, we heard a lot about uh, how to model and how to uh, do um, event storming. Would it be possible to take a quite old application with many years of development in it and transform it into an event-based solution without involvement of, or a lot of involvement of other teams or mostly product people? Or uh, is that possible? Or is it key that those people are involved and are um, adapting to this new way? Andy, do you want to take this since you love working with the government? Yeah. So um, w w my experience is um, what I've been, what I do is I do involve 
the other product owners and the users. Um, they don't quite understand. I have to kind of explain what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and that's hard sometimes. And, and it's hard to explain what an event is. And, um, but with, with something like what I'm working on right now, the business logic, the business, it's, there's requirement documents everywhere, but they don't really reflect what actually is going on. And so you end up, um, we end up working with the developers and you, you get the, the business owners, the SMEs, you know, the subject matter experts all together and you try to, like, you try to walk through what actually happens and, and we, what we try to do is like, we, I brought in event storming and I just say, well, this is what we think is happening. And, and we have developers say, oh no, that's not really what it is. And then we argue over the name, you know, and then you argue, and you argue over um, what should happen next. And in the end, well, um, and then you go back and look at the code and you figure out, oh, this is, the, this is the 1500 line method where all this happens and you start breaking it apart. But you have to involve them all. And, and like I said, like I said on my talk, we have the adjudicators that have to resolve these issues and it was instrumental to involve them. And, and, and because if I had just gone and just made up my events and kind of figure out the flow, I would have done the wrong, I would have got it wrong in the end. So I, I don't, um, as far as what I, my experience is, it's just been, um, um, it's best to include them as much, if you can get to the end user that, that's gonna work with it, and you mean, they may not understand event flows and stuff, but they'll understand the pain they're having, and, and that translates over, so, yeah, so I, I, it, I, I would be really, it'd be really hard just to dive in, just take that, like, I'm not kidding, our, our, we have methods that are like 1,500 lines long, and that's common in our stuff, and it's really hard to break it apart and understand what's really going on without going back to the users and saying, is this really what you expect to happen? So that's what. Yeah, I'll just second that with a good example from a client of mine. So uh, this is a company that works with, uh, in the e-health area, and uh, they're just in the midst of trying to move from a legacy system to a more modern event-driven axon-based system, luckily. Um, but there are no documents at all to find, to describe the system as is today. The problem is that the domain experts have been so far removed for such a long time from what's been going on, so there's like an invisible wall of separation that shouldn't exist but does, so nobody's any longer on the same page. There's been just a lot of guesswork for the last few years by the dev team, they themselves are just desperate right now. So my work has been to just sort of get an overview of the state of things as is. So with domain storytelling, for example, which necessarily involves physicians, nurses, other people that are well-versed in the domain, and they are just aghast at what's been going on because nothing is what is assumed things to be implemented as. So we model things as is, discover a lot of fa uh, failures that have occurred along the way, and then we can start moving towards to be stories. How do we go from the problem space right now to a the solution space we're after. And then that's why you do have to involve the uh, domain experts for real. And they sort of have a standing order, you cannot escape this, you need to be involved. That's uh, at least raises the probability that we'll hopefully succeed, yeah. I guess if I can third that, um, I think the, the question, can you, sure, but should you, <laughs> you may not want to. 
So, um, and we talked about ubiquitous language a lot these past two days, and I think that's part of the thing that a lot of times is missed between um, the, let's say, business side of the project and the developers and engineers and architects. Uh, a lot of times we have different kinds of language for the same thing, but understanding that we're talking about the same thing or various things, that's uh, really a beneficial thing to have when you go through the process of event storming or domain storytelling or event modeling, and that, that helps a lot. So uh, the, the reason why it was said in one of the talks, give it 50%, I think Laurent was talking about this if he's here, 50% um, of your time should be spent on design and really understanding what that domain is and then the other part of it is, is coding because as developers we get code happy. We're like, yeah, let's do it. And then you spend several weeks on it and then you go back to the, to the business and they're like, that's not what we wanted. <laughs> I, want, I wanted to add to that, the, the, um, the, the, one of the biggest advantages of, of it being event-driven, that's what I when, I, when I was on stage doing that crazy little act on being event-driven, right? It is something, uh, event-driven is not something you just do in code. It's something you do in the organization, in all of the behavior. So the part that I believe, can, can you or should you, um, uh, include the, the business is yes, definitely. And in fact, they should actually be the ones driving it in the first place. But okay, we know that that's not the condition that you're, you're in, but uh, getting them on board is so much more powerful. And we have a few, uh, few stories of, of, of companies as well there where, where the, um, the change did happen from the technology team, but they got the business on board and actually it brought the business and the development team so much closer to to the point where they now actually understand each other. Can you imagine that? You know, having people building, describing a system that a developer can actually understand and actually build what they, can, what they mean. And, I, I, and that, that's something that if I look back on, my, um, on, on, on the projects that I've done in the, in the past, there was an, an immense disconnect between the requirements document that you get and then what you actually build and there are so many gaps that the users get to fill in the gaps. And then you have all this undefined behavior that starts to become somewhat defined behavior because the users tell each other what to do to get that stuff fixed. Uh, I've heard stuff about um, entering, when you, when you record a medical record for, uh, for a baby that's born, then uh, I've heard them that, it, that it's entered as an appointment in the past. But the start date is the same as the end date. But then they had a problem with twins. So what they decided to do is put the end date one day further than the start date, and then everybody would know they're twins. Now, I challenge you to find me a document where it is specified that twins should be entered as you know, an appointment lasting more than one day. It's, it's not there. And that, that's the kind of stuff that is the best legacy generator of anything. Um, so definitely, if you want to improve your system, you want to become event-driven, bring them on board and uh, make sure that you become event-driven. So we have another question. How do you try to introduce a modernization of applications to use event sourcing CQRS in an environment at the client where there is not a clear view on the whole architecture and functionalities of it because of knowledge disappearing uh, due to developer, PMs, subject matter expert leave, leaving. Uh, the level of the developer is low. 
they are used to program basic monolith implementations, bad communication between dev teams. Ooh, so many Run. hot topics. <laughs> Leave while you can. So, uh, so this is what I've been doing for the last you know, three, three years. Uh, it, it's 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 uh, interesting always. Um, it's 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 the best way to do it is through example. I I, I don't. Um, I got lucky um, working at one agency um, because you know we went in and they they wanted to do a new green application. It was like and it was it was critical to get done. And I had, I had, we'd, we'd struggled with a project already we had just done, and we were struggling with it still being very database centric, and we were still like doing the same things over and over again. And and it, we were, we were and as my talk last couple years ago is, we just had enough. We just, there's got to be something better. And and so it wasn't just me. It was like it was like several developers. We did, we we kind of like all just started looking. You know, we all said, you know what, this sucked. We just got off this big project and it sucked. And there's got to be a better way. And they just keep repeating the same stuff. And 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 um, um, I can't take credit for finding Axe on one of the one of my one of the other developers. That hey, you should take a look at this. This makes this makes a lot of sense. And and um, and so what I what I how do we explain how event sourcing works? How do we explain this to to the rest of the team? How all this works? And what what I what I ended up doing was I made my own event sourcing engine. Or I did it myself from scratch, not looking at how any code was written. I just kind of how to, how to figure this out, and it worked. You know, would never be production ready, but I was able to step through. It was simple, and I was able to step through with the rest of the team. We we worked through in our heads how how it works. So it became very grassroots. The developers bought into it, and then we we started playing with the Yaxon framework and stuff, and the developers liked it. And we said, oh, and it's also micro. We can do these microservices too. So, so then we had to go and sell it to the business that we wanted to. Hey, we want to do it this way. And we had to, then we had to explain the events. We had to do event storming, and and along the way we learned how to do story mapping. It was all very grassroots, and we, and we kind of um, um, it, it was it was a, I don't know, a magical time because everything kind of fell into place, and and we actually had BAs that that actually they. Even though they didn't quite, quite understand what an event was, they were eager to try to figure it out. And, and we had, I, I used to have pictures of just post-it notes all over a room. And, and we just tried to figure out um, event flows and stuff. And we made mistakes. We didn't, you know, sagas were totally confusing to us and how all that worked. And, um, and, and then we, and so to go back to the question about you have low skill sets and stuff, you, you want to get better. Um, we tried different frameworks. Um, um, we used we our first pass was using JHipster. I don't know, if, you know, and just to help lay out a microservice architecture. Just just how do you build something? So it was easy to you know, go from something we see. Oh, we saw some examples here. This is this is how real developers do it, I guess. And but it didn't really work with domain-driven design. It was very data, and we didn't want it. It's like okay, so so we kind of took bits and pieces of what we learned there, and then we we kind of uh, so we, you know, we just kind of taught ourselves how to how to build a microservice with with um, Axon and stuff, and and just you know, it was like I said, it's kind of a magical time because we just used unit testing and and just to figure it out, and um, and it, it just kind of it just worked for us. Um, at the new place where I'm at, back to DWD, 
it's been a lot harder. I, I know I, it, it, it's been certain developers have kicked into it. Other ones um, want to stick with what they know. And it's um, and you get a lot of push, but we we have we have one developer that says, I don't want to use another framework. I'm tired of frameworks, which is probably true. We have all these different frameworks over the years, I, and they get abandoned or whatever. And um, um, and they push back on Kotlin like you wouldn't believe. I don't. I is okay. So um, <laughs> um, but but the one one developer says, I can just do this myself. Why don't we just write our own, make our, our own framework? And that's not happening. But but that but I think it's a fear. Is it's a fear of of trying. Okay, here's something new to try, and and I'm, it's going to be abandoned, or it's not going to work, or I'm going to be in hell trying to fix something I don't understand. And um, and and like I, something that was in the in the unconference, I I, I should brought up. I said I was trying to bring the team up. We use ArcUnit. Um, we use ArcUnit to say this is how this is how the architecture should look. And when the developers come in, they're trying to do stuff. ArcUnit will scream at them if they're breaking it. And 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 why did those for original three developers to get them up to speed on it? We did the ArcUnits together. When we were, I was trying to learn ArcUnit as well, but it was a way to. Um, we all learned this is what this is this is the architecture we agree to follow, and we're going to stick to it. And that became like a reference implementation going forward. And and it's it's helped with the adoption a little bit. At least it keeps people on the rails. And and that's that's been the the guiding thing right now is to have something that kind of keeps us on the rails and moving in the right direction. So that's that's been my experience with it. Um, it's we've I've only been back at DVD for it's going to be close to two years, and it's and we've, we've managed to do a couple of big things so far, and it feels like it's, we're building momentum up. Uh, by the end of the year, I want to have the rest of that IWF project moved to Axon. Um, so I don't, I don't think that really answers the question. It's just been, it's been a struggle. I, I, the best thing to do is be encouraging, I guess, and, and try to build things that, that guide the developers. And, and, and don't, I mean, I, I've, lost the, I've lost a few battles, you know, and that's okay. It's a compromise. And uh, hopefully I'll turn around and win when we see the pain come back. Oh, this is what we should be doing. But at least we're learning together. So that's... It's, it's, for me, it's not always a matter of skill sets. Um, I was at a meetup last week in Stockholm, and this guy from Google went uh, nuts about his or their new uh, service, service mesh updates in Kubernetes. He was very proud of that. And everybody in the room nodded along, and I got 10 minutes on event-driven microservices right after, and I was definitely in the wrong room. <laughs> So that simply doesn't understand or believe or even embrace the concept of event-driven microservices. Their world is synchronous, and they have this nice visualization of their service mesh and everything that goes into it. So I really couldn't really get on the same wavelength with the whole group. So it might even be such issues that they are so tied into, I wouldn't say old ways of thinking, but other ways of thinking that are completely contrarian to we are all here about in this room. So it's a challenge in many ways. And I think uh, Milan, you had something to add, yeah? I just just wanted to uh, add something, but you explained it a lot better than I, but I think it's the answer to that question is, uh, it's not gonna help you, but as the answer, it's one step at a time. Uh, and you actually cannot explain, 
expect to get in, get it done, you know, in one hour later. It's just not happening. The thing that you need to do is build confidence one step at a time. And what, what were said that some developers would love to stay to the stuff that they know. It's not about it they know. It's that they have confidence they can do stuff with the stuff they know. And they don't have the confidence they can do it the new way. So the only thing that would actually work is if you can figure out a way one step at a time to make them more confident with the new approach. So they can try it on something small, they can convince themselves it works, and then they're ready to take the next step. If you're just gonna go and say, I'm gonna change your world, and from tomorrow you're gonna be doing different things, it ain't gonna happen. And some of you might know I do a little podcast for, for Axon, and um, I've done five seasons so far, and we've just passed, I think, 52 episodes. About a good 30 of them, or more, has the same question in them. Because it's a true frustration when it comes to changing the, the mindset. It's, as you mentioned, it's not the skill set. It's not that you're all probably sitting in a room full of very smart people who are very used to their way. So changing their mindset can happen one step at a time, baby steps. So if you are frustrated and you can't sleep at night, I'd recommend you listen to the podcast and make yourself feel a little bit better because this is not just your problem, it's a lot of people's problems. <laughs> that makes you feel better. All right, well, thank you. Okay, so we have another question. Location transparency allows us to split a service into two when needed, but when is it a good time to do it? Which drawbacks you can think of about horizontally scaling a big service? Very short answer. The time to do it is if it can't be done tomorrow. That's it. If you can get away with doing it tomorrow, then do it tomorrow. Don't do it today. If you can't get away with doing it tomorrow, then that's probably, maybe you should have done it yesterday. But you know that's uh, the uh, the the thing is you you can and and location transparency is about the components themselves right and it's about making it simpler to to get to, to move components around but also to scale them scale them as needed and there are so many projects that including the ones I've worked on in the past that said oh we need to be scalable okay to what volume to this volume okay bam bam servers servers big scale everything it's like no that's not scalable that's scale. Skill is expensive. You want to do that when you need it, not before. So you want to be scalable, and location transparency and scalability go hand in hand. So just do it if you just postpone it for as long as you can and, and find out what are the. And I always say the reason to do that is never a functional reason. And, and a lot of people just look at me questioning, like, hey, he said never. He didn't say it depends. And, and so far, I've never, never. Nobody has given me a functional reason ever to, 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 to separate two services. They're always non-functional. They're about team size. They're about deployment life cycles. They're about uh, stability of, of components. I've seen some components that are so memory heavy they will just eat the whole heap for themselves and then there's nothing else for the, for the rest of them. Uh, so yeah, give them their little own JVM so they can take all of that. But uh, it's always non-functional. So I guess that would be, that would be my short answer. Uh, any other questions? If not, then I can 
Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's a question on Simon, and oh, it's a question that it's somehow uh, a request. <laughs> so, I really love the patterns that you that you that you stated. Uh, do you have some plans with it, like a book uh, <laughs> or something like this, to maintain them and to? to <laughs> no, no, I know that it's a very popular popular subject, uh, particularly about your book, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm now speaking about like maintaining those, na to naming them, naming them properly. Uh, probably our names are proper. It doesn't matter. Uh, but but really somehow to propagate them in in the community because it helps. It helps a lot if things have common names. You, you know the ubiquitous language. Uh, so something like this. What is what are your plans with it? Yeah, we have we have big plans for that, of course. Um, um, so first of all, we now we, we tried it out in, in a real room where people finally understand what we're speaking about. That was very helpful. Um, so we at least uh, promised ourselves to, uh, to publish this. So there will be probably, we start with something like an article series um, and we'll try to find more, of course, and especially currently they only have names. What we want to especially uh, we want to collect some properties, right? So you want to be able not just to say, okay, this is it, and now, but you want to be able to judge, is it suitable, suitable to your use case? What are the, I mean, we all read Gang of Four patterns, right? So yeah, it should be like not only the name, but also some, some, uh, some context where you want to use it and when not. So this will probably end up in kind of a series of articles on Medium or something like this. And then let's see what what you guys say, right? So we can, of course, uh, we can set up. Uh, I don't know if we can join the DDD crew guys and put it maybe somewhere there. So in the non, there is a, this wonderful resource on GitHub where some people doing DDD are putting some patterns and principles and methodologies and so on. So it could end up there, or maybe we'll put something separate web page with patterns or whatever. But definitely, that was the first step. So if you know some patterns and if you observe some patterns, then uh, give us an email or a call and yeah, whatever we can edit up. <laughs> and we'd love to have a kind of, so no, no further plans yet, but kind of platform to discuss all this. Maybe a forum. I know one of the providers who have a forum on that. Maybe it should be. A uh, and I'm not planning to write a book now, right? <laughs> uh, you know, you never know. Yeah. So actually, it's an exhausting process to write a book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, maybe uh, it's it is uh, another pattern. But um, we we talk a lot about domain events. But sometimes you just need some events to get your aggregates going to into the next step. I think. In literature, I've read it's called a, something an uh, aggregate event. Um, so, for example, you you need to validate something into an external system, and you get that response from your saga. And you need to um, um, uh, process that in your aggregate. So that's kind of a, not not really a domain event, but just an event to get things going on. Um, maybe it's a new pattern uh, identified, but, but what's, what's your view on those kind of events? Or should we avoid them? Or are there, are there other way around them? 
may I start? <laughs> um, so avoid is a nice word, I think. So it sounds a little bit artificial that you say it doesn't exist in my problem space, but I just invent this. This is exactly the path to the hell, right? Where you start inventing stuff that is not in ubiquitous language. No one from the domain understands what it is. Uh, it's kind of a technical feature, right? Um, so of course, it's, it should be some representation there. So maybe, maybe you, I mean, um, sometimes you have like this, I mean, we, we, we think in patterns, right? We, we, we think like uh, there is an aggregate, now we have uh, a saga, and then there is this, there is also a pattern not introduced today, but you have this, we call it um, saga backed by, by aggregate. So that you say, actually, I need more of the state, uh, state management, and I want to actually more receive commands. So I put an aggregate as a backing bean, kind of, and everything that comes from outside will be then interpreted as a command, and then the saga react to that. Um, but they are still valid domain names, although they should be. Um, what you could do, of course, if you're using uh, Axon Server, you could say, okay, I do kind of a, a different context for all this stuff, right? But to me, it sounds dirty. So try to model, to understand the, mod the, the domain problem better, maybe, and to say, okay, what is it really? Maybe there is a name for this. So go back to the domain and try to speak with the people. And probably they will say, uh, actually, we, yeah. I agree with you. I would avoid it. That's, 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 that's my agreement there. But I, I like that if, if maybe there is, um, you, you, you got to go back to maybe there is a, 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 a something that's hidden in the domain that, that um, it, it's got a name for it. So just to add a little bit, uh, yes, I would try to avoid. And very often when there's, um, so I've seen successful and failed uh, event sourcing projects. I've been part of, um, well, some of my failures included event sourcing. And um, I noticed that the failed projects very often had non-domain events in them. And if you, if you look at, um, at the reasons for change, if, if, your, if your system needs to change, it is very often because of a change in business requirements. But then at least you know this was the requirement before, and now it is this. So you can find the code that says this is how it works now, and you can change it to now it does that. But when there's a technicality, change because you were in an argument and because you had a rougher night last night than the other person, you lost the argument and you weren't able to convince your colleagues, so you decided to implement X, but now your colleague had a party last night and now you did find the argument, so now you've managed to convince that, no, wait, Y was a better solution, then it changes, but you don't have any specification, there's nothing in the domain, nobody understood X and Y in the first place. And, and I think this is essential to event sourcing. And again, it's that being event. It has to go all the way. And I, I challenge you to not have any event in your event store that the business does not understand. And I'm convinced, and it might be Nirvana, or it might be you know, the ultimate, but um, I, I think that's what you should, should strive for. Um, do take into account that it may mean, and, I, and you hinted to that already, it may mean that you just haven't discovered it yet. Maybe this discussion, the right discussion, uh, hasn't taken place yet with the, uh, with the business owners to uncover that. Uh, because there are some events that um, 
that are actually events of the non-occurrence of an event. Like the invoice not being paid, right? There's a lack of a payment event that should trigger something. Um, and the, there's a pattern for that called the passage of time event. So sometimes that's a relevant event, and we call them deadlines in, in Axon, right? Um, so um, there's, there's definitely some of those, but they should still be business validated events. In the, I think the business owns the event. So there are two questions that were not answered. I apologize for that. But um, the panelists will answer those on the app. So please uh, keep an eye out. Um, we are unfortunately out of time. Uh, thank you so much for all the questions, participation, uh, just being here and being interested in the topic that we're all so passionate about. Um, there are lots of ways to hunt any of us down. <laughs> so please do if you have questions. The best place for it, though, would be uh, at our Discuss platform, uh, which is just discuss.axonic.io. Uh, we have a really great community of um, Axon users and uh, DDD and Securus um, enthusiasts and users. And so um, that's a really great place to ask your questions and get some answers or comments or um, ideas if you need. So thank you so much, panelists. And with that, I'll give it to Alar to send us off. I hope you liked our conversation. Please join me next time for other amazing topics and discussions. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.